I want you to think about how these plots usually go. There's a bad guy, and there's a good guy. And the bad guy gets some victories, okay? And then the good guy gets some victories. And finally, the good guy wins, and you get up from the couch, and you go along through your day all happy and overjoyed because good has triumphed over evil once again. And then there's the action movie where all the action fighting culminates in one big fight, and then finally the bad guy says, you know what? I'm wrong. And then the good, si- good guy says, yeah, buddy, I'm wrong too. Let's go get brunch. You know what movie I'm talking about? No, because that movie doesn't exist, okay? What's an awesome action film about, uh, what's an action awesome film, awesome action film without a good guy triumphing over bad and the evil dude getting his just desserts, okay? We'll see in James that the wars that we have in our personal lives end when we finally submit our lives to God in Jesus Christ and lay everything down at his feet, So please read with me James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James writes this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll illuminate your word so that we may apply it to our daily lives and live as disciples who know you and want to make you known in this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So just to kind of contextualize where we're at, James is continuing his thought beginning in chapter 3 where he's essentially describing conflict. And in the first 12 verses of James 3, he addresses the conflict that stems from speech. And as we saw last week, in the last part of James chapter 3, James's concern is that the church should embody heavenly wisdom instead of earthly wisdom. And a hallmark of heavenly wisdom is that of peacemaking. And he closes chapter 3 by saying that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And that serves as a textual connector between chapter 3 and chapter 4, where he says in chapter 4, verse 1, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your evil desires that battle within you? In other words, what he's saying is that these wars and these conflicts that we go through with other people and with ourselves, they stem from the sin within our hearts. And the Bible has a lot to say about sin. Sin is that which causes a barrier between you and God and others. And sin may manifest itself in the bad things that you do, but it ultimately comes from your heart. The 
Bible talks so much about how our hearts are a source of evil intentions. And because of sin, we're separated from God and we deserve death. But because God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross as the payment for our sins, we can come to know and trust God and be set free from the penalty of our sins. And because of this, we're empowered to live as holy people who love God and love others completely and get to spend eternity with our Father in heaven. But even if we know Jesus, that doesn't take away our capability to sin. Because the process of growing in Jesus Christ is messy. You're going to go do something good in the name of Christ, and then you're going to go and mess it up by doing something bad for yourself. But just because the Christian life is messy doesn't mean that's an excuse to be lax in our Christian walks. And that's what James says here. As humans, we're capable of committing such heinous sins. And the conflicts and fights that we go through in our lives stem from the sin that comes from within our hearts. And James goes on to say this, that you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So those evil things that we do sometimes are the fruit of our evil desires. We see something, something shiny we like and don't have, and we'll kill for it. We'll, we'll steal it. And we see something that we know that we can't get in a million years, and yet we'll continue to pursue it and fight for it because our hearts, our sinful hearts, want it so badly. But James brings up an interesting point in the next verse. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So what James is saying is that while you may have those evil desires and while those may cause you to commit all kinds of sin, the real core of it all is that you don't trust God. We see something we like, and instead of asking God for it, we end up committing sin and either coveting or stealing or quarreling or fighting or going to all-out war. And when we don't trust God, we're committing idolatry because we're putting faith within ourselves, making ourselves God. So what these few verses are saying is that our conflicts that we experience stem from the lack of trust in God to provide for us. And we know that God will always provide for us, don't we? The Bible continually says that God will provide for us and take care of his children. Think about how Jesus told his disciples, if you ask God for bread, will he give you rocks instead? And recall what James said in chapter 1 when he said, if you want something like wisdom, ask God without wavering. Because if you waver, you demonstrate that you're double-minded. You don't trust God at all. And not only this, but when we ask with this kind of wavering spirit, it's undoubtedly because we know in our hearts there's something amiss with our motivations. I remember when I was a kid and I just got done seeing Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire in it, which is by far the best of all the Spider-Man movies. And as a Christian kid who's dazzled by all these stories of miracles in the Bible, I thought that God could make me Spider-Man. So for days I would pray this, Lord, I love you. And I know you love me, so could you please make a radioactive spider bite me so that I become Spider-Man? In Jesus' name, amen. And I kept praying that prayer, and I just kept imagining what it would be like 
to be Spider-Man and to spin webs around all my teachers who would discipline me because I was a bad kid. And days passed, and I never got my powers. And then I realized, maybe God wants something more from me. So my prayers became this. Lord, if you make me Spider-Man, if you give me Spider-Man's powers, I'm going to give all my money to the church. And back then, I don't even know how old I was, but all my money was like 100 bucks or something. You feel like you're rich when you have $100 when you're like 12 years old. So looking back at that, it's kind of humorous, it's kind of cute or whatever, but in reality, a lot of us still think like that. Lord, I really want a big house because I want to impress my friends. Or Lord, I I really want a race so that I can provide for my family with a new car like a Lamborghini. Thanks, God. So what James is saying in these few verses is that the source of our conflict with other people is our fundamental lack of trust in the God who provides for us continually. Because even when we ask him for things, we ask with wrong motivations. And that indicates that we mistrust the God who provides for us every single day of our lives. And I think this critiques a lot of the way that Christians handle cultural issues. When we feel as though we need to fight against culture or fight against people because they're doing things that we Christians don't like. And I'm not talking about engaging in fruitful dialogue or discussion or standing up for the least of these. The church needs to do that. My goodness, the church needs to be about that stuff. I'm talking about name calling on Facebook. I'm talking about confronting your neighbors who aren't Christians. And I'm also talking about our stiff need to have people agree with us on every single thing. But when you take a step back from it all, you begin to see that the source of your bitterness is really a lack of trust in God's plan for our lives. So we need to place our faith, our faith in the God who provides and has a plan for our lives. And when we do, we'll see that battle within ourselves, and with other brothers and sisters come to an end. And I'll say more about that later. But James doesn't quite stop there. He gets pretty intense in the next few verses. He says this, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, he starts with quite an accusation there. He says, you adulterous people. Now, you look at that and you're like, that's an ugly thing to say, Jimmy. I have a a very close personal relationship with the book of James, so we're on on like a first name basis like that. But then he goes on to say, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? It puts you against God. Now, before I dig into what that means, I want to say that I've heard this passage taken way out of context way too many times, okay? I was at a very conservative church once in, I don't even know, somewhere in Pennsylvania or wherever. And the speaker that morning was a missionary from Brazil, I think it was. And he gave a report on his work, his missionary work in that country. He had his family with him. And he said his ministry was kind of struggling, okay? They hadn't seen the kind of results that they wanted to see. And they felt as though they needed more money to continue doing what they were doing down there to reach the Brazilians with the gospel. And when his final pitch for money came, he said something like this. You know, we really need your financial support because we've had to remove fellowship from a few different churches. And I'm like 17 years old, and I remember thinking, wow, those churches must have been, must have been doing something awful for you to say that you're not going to take their money anymore. And then he said, those churches 
has started to use worship choruses and they've started to use drums and they've started to use the satanic electric guitar. Just like that, really, really dramatic. That sounds like a lot of the stuff that you hear on secular radio. And we know what the Bible says, that to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. And then my response to that in the back was this, this huge eye roll and this burning desire to just stand up and be like, that's not what that verse means at all, dude. I didn't, though. Essentially, what this verse boils down to is that the more you act like someone who hasn't been transformed by Jesus, the more you're cheating on God, meaning you're committing spiritual adultery. And he says that if you're going to become like the world, you make yourself out to be an enemy of God. And let me be clear here. James isn't saying, well, if you have non-Christian friends, then you're really an enemy of God. Okay, that's not what he's saying. That is so far from the truth. The Bible says you just love everybody regardless of who they are, okay? But what James is saying right here is that if you know God, yet you don't act like you know God, you're actually an enemy of God. In other words, you can either submit to the ways of the world, the bitterness, the jealousy, the anger, the pride, the greed, the idolatry, and all that goes along with it, or you can lay those down and submit your life back to God. It goes back to what I was saying last week. There's two kinds of wisdom, two different paths that you can follow. One of earthly wisdom and one of heavenly wisdom. One is characterized by being selfish and dishonest and hungry for war. The other is pure and peace-loving and considerate. You're a friend of the world when you exemplify that earthly wisdom that's, that's selfish, that's inconsiderate, that's opposed to God, and most of all, hungry for conflict and war. You see, James is continuing his thought that he started back in chapter 3, verse 1, when he talked about the tongue and how it can be used to spread hate or love. And then he starts talking about heavenly and earthly wisdom. And now he says that if your life is a breeding ground for the conflict that stems from your lack of trust in God, your sin, then you're denying the way of God. Look with me at these next few verses. He says, Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God wants you. God is jealous for you. And that sounds kind of awkward, okay? How can God be jealous But you look throughout the Old Testament and you see God continually trying to get the children of Israel to come back to to himself after after they had gone off and worshipped other idols instead of the one true God. And God, despite the refusal of his children to come back to him, still says that he loves them and he will always seek after them. That's the context of these verses here. As children of God and as the bride of Christ, we continually wander away from him, wanting to become chummy with gods who aren't him. And yet it says, he gives us more grace. God knows that our hearts wander. He knows it. He knows that we have this internal conflict between our flesh and his spirit, and he has compassion on that. That's why it says here that God gives us more grace because while we may be tempted to be comfortable with the ways of the world, 
and be comfortable with a worldly lifestyle, God loves us and has compassion on us despite the ways that we fail, despite the way that we let our flesh get control of us. He wants us to follow him when we're so easily captivated by others who aren't him. So to recap, James is saying that our conflict stems from a fundamental lack of trust in the God who will provide for us and take care of us in the way that he said he would. And when we fundamentally lack trust in God, we become his enemies. We go to war with him and we go to war with one another. But despite the fact that we can fall so easily into temptation, God continues to love us and extend his grace to us. You with me? So what's the cure for that? We're continuously at war with ourselves and with God and with others. What's the fix? James says it in the next few verses. He said, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, that's a pretty tough word right there, but we know that James is a challenging book, and he's calling us to a higher standard of the Christian life. And sometimes that higher standard means submitting our ways to God and repenting of those ways. And this is the conclusion of James's argument that he's been making since chapter 3. Remember, he speaks about the tongue and the potential that it has for great good and for great evil and how we should watch what we say as Christians. And then he talks about worldly wisdom and then heavenly wisdom and how we're called to live humble lives and exemplify that heavenly wisdom. And then finally, we learn that the wars that we start really stem from the sin that's lodged within our hearts. When we live apart from God's ways... We're essentially God's enemies. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're kind of off the hook here. But if you are a Christian and you don't act like it, James is saying that you are an enemy of God. And finally, after all this teaching that James has given us, after all of chapter 3 and after the first part of chapter 4, he says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come close to God and he'll come close to you. That's the way that Christians live their life. Not constantly at war with, uh, with God. Not constantly at war with one another. Not constantly at war with ourselves. But humbly to the God who is and what he will says to you. Humbly submitting ourselves to all that he's done for you and continues to do in our lives. Repentance really means to change your perspective and as a result, your way of life. And it's a tough thing to do because we as humans, we want to dig our heels in and stick to our guns even when we know that we're wrong. We still feel as though we're right even if people prove us wrong. But the gospel says that we are wrong and that God is right. And he's provided us a means to become right with God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Repentance is serious business. Look at what he says. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Repentance means saying to God that you're sorry for what you've done. I have to repent every single day of my life, and chances are you do too. 
And it's tough to admit to the Almighty of God that you've done something wrong, that you've offended him, and that you've taken whatever grace that he's given to you and completely disregarded it. And yet when we repent, something beautiful happens. It says in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. When we repent of our ways and mourn and submit to God, he brings us into a place of sweet joy and peace. He lifts us up. Think about a time in your life when you repented, when you reached rock bottom in the Christian life and you gave your life back to God. Think about that peace that just came over you. I remember vividly when it happened to me when I was like 16 years old. And I just felt this tugging in my heart from God. And I don't want to go into the whole story. But I basically laid it all down to God. And immediately, waves of anxiety, all the anger I felt, all the pride I had, just left my body. And the peace of God came over me. My grieving turned to laughter. And my sadness turned to joy. And that's what happens when you finally admit to God that you're wrong and he's right. He lifts you up. It's like one of my favorite songs by U2, uh, Mysterious Ways. It says, if you want to kiss the sky, you better learn how to kneel. So just to summarize this passage, James is saying that the wars or the conflicts that we go through grow out of a fundamental lack of trust in God. And when we lack trust in him, we need to repent because when we lack trust, we're essentially enemies of God. So what does this mean for today? How can we take these words that have been written over 2,000 years ago and apply them to our context today? Well, number one, I think it means this. Something we always need to remember is that the wars that you start, Grow out of your unrepentant heart. It's kind of a cute way to say it, but it's easy to remember, right? I think when we have conflict, it's easy to blame it on someone else. So-and-so is just being an idiot or acting irrational or they just don't get it. And I add myself to this challenge as well because the more and more I look at my own life and I see the people with whom I have conflict I I see that the blame can really be uh, brought back to me. And at that point, I need to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry for the role that I've played in this. And I know you've been there too. And maybe you've held a grudge against someone for something they did such a long time ago. And maybe that person did something wrong. But think about why you're still upset about it. Was your pride hurt? Did you not get your way? Did they take away something from you that was probably an idol in your life to begin with? Chances are you're going to realize that in any conflict, there is blame to go around in spades. But James says, look at yourself to blame. And the more and more we as Christians fight with each other, the less and less people want to become like us. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it in every single sermon that I preach. The world, everybody, needs the church to be the church because the church is the hope of the world. When we fight or when we go to war with one another, we're not being the church. We're just being like everyone else. No, we're called to a higher standard of living because to be friendly with the ways of the world is to disregard the God who saved us and sent his son to die for our sins. So realize that any conflict that we experience, 
can usually be traced back to the stuff, the nasty stuff that's lodged within our hearts. And I think another thing, too, we need to remember is that submitting to God means submitting your entire life. As I said before, James is building a holistic argument starting in chapter 3. He talks about the tongue. He talks about exemplifying wisdom. He talks about fighting and war and pride. And the cure for all of that is just to submit yourself to God. Now, chances are, if you're anything like me, you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm okay with where I'm at. You know, I serve, I give, I don't speed too much. And you go on to think about other areas in your life that you quite haven't cleaned up, your, uh, cleaned up yet. And you say to yourself, I'll get, the, I'll get to those later. I tell my kids in youth group this all the time, but it bears mentioning to everybody else, submitting your life to God doesn't start tomorrow. It starts today. And whatever you're holding back from God, whether it's your words, your money, your relationships, your career, your grudges, your anger, your idols, your wars that you love, we need to lay it down. Because Jesus said, hey, if you want to follow me, you've got to give it all up. Bear your cross and follow me. This past Friday afternoon as I was finishing up this sermon, I, uh, I took a sheet of paper and I wrote at the top, things I need to submit to God. And I started to list out a couple things. And I'm like, I'm doing pretty good for myself. And then I was like, I kind of missed a couple things. So I, you know, wrote in very small font just those things I need to submit. And then a few things turned into ten things, which turned into a whole lot of things. And before you know it, that blank sheet of paper was just dripping with ink. And I looked at it. And I about cried. And I said, Lord, am I really holding all this stuff back from you? And I repented and I just said, Lord, whatever I have is yours. It belongs to you. I submit it all to you. And I'd encourage you to do the same this week. Get a sheet of paper out. Write down those areas that you know you need to shape up in your life. I think you'd be surprised at just how great a sinner you are, but how great a Savior we have. Amen? And that's what we celebrate right now, that Jesus Christ shows us how to lay down our swords and lay down our lives for him. He lived the perfect life and submitted to his father and showed us what true submission looks like. And despite being sinless and despite being perfect and despite the fact that he could call down legions of angels to slay his enemies... He chose to go to the cross and die for our sins in submission to his Father's will. If we believe in him with our whole hearts, he cleanses us from all the bad stuff within our hearts and places within us brand new hearts. And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, but you've heard this stuff over and over again from different people. Maybe God's tugging at your heart and saying, you got to submit your life to me. There's no better time to believe in Christ than right now. And maybe you're here and you are a Christian. And maybe there's areas in your life that you need to lay down. Because if you choose to fight with God, you will lose. Because his love is so blinding and so powerful that even the most powerful hate and distrust and resistance can't hold a candle to it. 
And maybe there's a brother or sister in this very room that you need to forgive and ask forgiveness from and submit your anger to God. This is the time to do it. This is the time where we offer ourselves as living sacrifices just as Christ has done for us. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. And whenever you feel led, come up here. Grab a piece of bread. Dip it into the cup. Remember all that Jesus Christ has done for you. And if you feel led, come up here and pray and lay it at his feet. Will you stand with me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I don't even know where to start. Forgive me for the ways that I fall short, the way that I harbor anger in my own heart, Lord. Forgive me of that. And I ask corporately that you'll forgive us of that as well. For all the ways that we start conflicts and wars, for all the ways that we show ourselves to be your enemies, Lord, for all the ways that we let our tongues get control of us, for all the ways that we exemplify that earthly wisdom instead of the heavenly wisdom. Forgive us, Lord. Transform us. We repent, Heavenly Father. And if there's anyone who doesn't know you in this room right now, may today be the day that they come to know you with their whole hearts and submit everything they have to you. And if there's anything that we're not seeing, Heavenly Father, please make it clear to us so that we can repent and turn again towards you. We ask that you come be with us as we worship you. Help us to submit everything we have to you. In Christ's name, amen. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my
am found. I am found. I am yours. I am love. I'm in pure. I have life. I can breathe. I am
Oh, no. 